The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Now, look behind schedule here. Not that I was late or anything, but just a lot of the last minute stuff going on. And one of those last minute things is we've got our good friend Scotty Robert joining us on the program. He'll be our first guest tonight. He'll do a short segment with us. We're going to get an update uh, from him on the work that he's been doing, the research and the discussions he's been having. Plus, um, uh, he had a bit of a health scare. We're going to talk to him about that. Plus, uh, he's going to comment about the Gettysburg ghost video that's been circulating, which if you went to my Facebook page, my uh, my JVJ Paranormal page, you saw me uh, comment on that video and offer a conclusion as to what I Think and I'm I'm 99% confident that that's what it is. Uh, how what I stated in the video there, it's still there. If you want to go see it, just go to JVJ Paranormal on Facebook and you'll see the video, and you'll hear my comments. It's only about a minute long, but the bottom line is um, we'll get Scotty's perspective on that as well. And then in addition, we're going to be talking about herbs, herbal medicine, Reiki, with Sammy Kennedy. Sammy is a master herbalist and a Reiki master. Masters on each side of that. It's kind of cool. And we'll talk about how herbs work. We'll talk about the immune system, making it strong against viruses like COVID-19. We'll talk about how to use herbs correctly so that you don't cause complications like prescription medications can do. And we'll also talk about backwoods medicine, which is the ability to take care of your family if all else fails. Also, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's just J.V. Johnson on YouTube. The channel's actually called J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal, but if you search just J.V. Johnson, you'll find it. And then uh, Twitch, we also have a channel there. That will uh, be home to some different programming as we kind of divide things. It'll be our Friday night program and some other things, and that's just J.V. Johnson on Twitch. We invite you to, jo- to join us on all of our digital footprints, if there is such a thing. Okay, we'll go to break. We'll get our good friend Scotty Roberts on the phone, and we will start our discussion tonight. It's beyond reality. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. For those of you who've been with the show for a while, you know we have a go-to guest. Whenever we've got something very interesting that we want to talk about, that we want to analyze, that we want to get some uh, professional and uh, expert insight into, we call our very, very good friend Scotty Roberts. Scotty has been uh, in the paranormal community for quite some time. He has um, had a radio show, still does, in fact, published magazines, written books. He's explored the world, particularly Egypt, and he's our good friend. And Scotty, welcome to the program. It's so great to have you with us again. Good to be back. Hey, uh, before we get into anything, um, I know that, that you had had a bit of a health situation over the weekend. I'm not. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I don't mean to put you on. And if you don't want to talk about it, that's just fine. I just want. Okay. I've had a uh, hundred people already ask me, and uh, Rocky asked me on air, and and I talked about it myself on air. So it's all right. Well, it sounds like you're doing okay. So that's good. I'm doing fantastic. I got to tell you, um, it sounds cliche to put it this way, but uh, 
I feel 20 years younger, and that's really the truth of it. Wow. And I had a, I had a heart attack on Friday. And, and, of course, as you know and many of your listeners know, I had a, uh, the surgery, open-heart surgery, uh, three years ago. Yeah. And I had a heart attack and uh, just snuck up on me once again, not clutching my chest or anything, but I felt pain in my shoulder again. And, and so I went in and had it checked very early on Friday morning. And I was sitting drinking coffee at my computer when it happened. And so I went over to the ER, and they sent me up to the big city hospital in St. Paul. And uh, sure enough, uh, they'd said a stent had collapsed. And it had cut off all the blood flow on one side of my heart. And apparently that had been going on for a while. And as soon as they were done with the procedure, like 9 in the morning, they're done. And uh, the surgeon said something like... uh, you should be feeling better as soon as you're done out of here. And I said, I feel better already. And I got to tell you, Jimmy, there's a lot of different little physical things I had, like dizziness and all this things going on for months and months. And uh, now I have not had any of that. I feel really? literally 20 years younger. So they fixed whatever that problem was. Wow. You know, that's the, I don't, I don't even, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but like you said, there was no like major pain, no clutching of your chest, right. collapsing into the ground or anything. It was just a kind of a nagging little thing going on, but it turned out to be uh, a nagging little pain. However, the, uh, the the cause of it was actually something quite um, um, consequential right. if it hadn't been dealt with. Oh, yeah. And of course, they gave me the line that they'll always give you. If you had waited another day or two, you might be dead. Yeah. And uh, because there was just no blood flow from one side of my heart. Wow. So so it was very interesting. You know, I was feeling worn out and all that for the last few months. And I thought, man, that's it. My quality of life is like is like crappy now. And man, they did this. And I got to tell you, it's like it's like being 50 again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're certainly happy that you're healthy and, and happy. And uh, that's always a great thing because you contribute a lot, Thank not you. just to this show, but to your own shows and uh, all your friends. I mean, clearly you got a great group of people that support you. So let's talk a little bit about this um, this Gettysburg Ghost video. Now, I've talked about it a few times because uh, okay. I saw it actually on a uh, cable news program. It was kind of a small little feature. One of the hosts uh, showed it and said, wow, look at this footage of a ghost, uh, you know, in, on the Gettysburg battlefield. Now, to preface this conversation, um, and I know you you have heard a lot of this too, Scotty, but frequently when you ask someone, hey, how did you get your start in, in paranormal or how did you become interested? Uh, yeah. Often an answer will be, well, I was visiting Gettysburg and then, you know, you fill in the blank yeah. after that, right? I mean, Gettysburg is one of these places that starts this journey yeah. for a lot of people. Because a lot of people go there that sometimes aren't even into the paranormal and they have an experience. Yeah, and when you're talking about a uh, a place, you know, a couple square miles of um, you know where, that housed or or saw some of the most horrific bloodletting yes. in history, not just American history, but all of history, and um, you know, fifty five thousand men uh, killed or wounded in a matter yes. of three days. The amount of blood soaked into those fields, those farm fields, on July, what was it, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of 1863. It is unbelievable. It's unimaginable, actually. It's unimaginable. When you think of, I'm trying to think what the casualty figure was for D-Day. I think it was like 12,000 casualties. There were 55,000 casualties at Gettysburg. 55,000. And that's crazy. And when you think of it, that's not 
modern technology doing it. These are old, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, carbine rifles yeah. and uh, that they used. And so uh, many of them uh, one shot still uh, powder uh, driven. And uh, so you're talking about the amount of bloodshed with very simplistic gunfire. Yeah, and it was just a bunch of men with a bunch of musket balls shooting right into the ranks of each other, cannon fire into the ranks of each other, and these men would just march across fields, in one case with pickets charged. It was it was uh, uh, 10,000 men walking across a field that was a mile long um, you know, into, yeah. into enemy gunfire. So you can understand how the casualties could have been so high. But those high casualty numbers left a lot of energy in in those fields that blood left a lot yeah. of energy in those fields a lot of trauma a lot of tragedy and that in many cases can be the fuel for paranormal activity certainly and, and there is i thought it was pickett's charge and i might be wrong but what was the irish story and i saw a depiction of this in a movie in recent years where the irish of the uh, of the union army were charging the irish brigade of the confederate army and the confederates were of course mowing them down and uh, uh they start the the irish and the confederate side start raising their guns in the air and they're crying and they're crying out to their irish brothers on the on the union side and saying uh, go back Go back, and then they turned and they did retreat, and they're cheering them on because their Irish brothers are going. Imagine mm. that emotion, along with the death at that moment of all these people that took place, and that emotion brought into all of this as well. You've got to think of that metaphysical, that spiritual side of all of this, other than just the blood drenching the ground. You had the emotion doing the same thing. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There was more emotion. And, and you know, when they call it the war where brother was against brother, that's literal. Yeah. That's actually true. Um, so it's it's an unbelievable amount of tragedy. So, again, we go back to Gettysburg as a paranormal uh, kind of an incubator for a lot of people's paranormal curiosities. And often we'll get uh, video or, or pictures. And I've seen some very, very impressive video and some very, very impressive pictures. So on the news channel I was watching that particular night last week, uh, this video came up, and I thought, wow, this is one of the best videos I have ever seen. I need to see this again. I need to look at it more closely. So I found the video online, and I watched it um, in a little more intimate way as opposed to having a newscaster present it to me. And um, I noticed something very, very quickly, and I'm going to get your analysis in a second, but what I saw, and I put this in the video that I have on my Facebook page, it's clear to me that there is a streak of liquid, whether it's probably water, could be pine pitch, could be anything, but it's liquid, a uh, streak that had, had dropped onto the windshield and moved its way down the windshield. And it's that little remnant of that liquid on the windshield that as they're driving along, it distorts the light from the car headlamps because this was a nighttime video. Uh -huh. And it looks like a figure running along when it's actually just the light being distorted in that little strip of liquid that runs down the windshield. So I slowed it down in my video. I circle, and you can see at the bottom of that streak, there's a drop. The, the drop is still making its way down the windshield. Um, it's pretty clear to me what this is. Did you see, did you see anything different, Scotty? 
No, you know, I couldn't see it large enough. I watched it on my phone just before we started tonight. And uh, what it looked like to me, I didn't see the water because I couldn't blow it up very big. But I did see something that now that you mention water on a windshield had very staccato, like a quick slick movement and a quick staccato movement and up and down. And I thought, wow, that thing's jerking around like something's (laughs) blowing it or moving it. And now that would fit the description of water moving across a windshield. Yeah, and of course, um, and of course, you, so. because of the distance, you've got that angle of perspective there, so it moves more rapidly, even though right. the car isn't moving very much. Uh, so it just it is it adds to it. I had some people comment on the video on my Facebook page. Most of them saw what I saw, agreed with my findings. Uh, a couple of them said. No, uh, they don't see that. And I, I'm a little perplexed because it seems pretty obvious to me. Um, but I'm I'm curious, and I've asked some of those folks to tell me what you see. You know, what, did you see something different? If so, what was it? Well, you know, I what I didn't see it very clearly because I, I like I say, I'm watching it on a three inch by seven inch phone. Um, so I want to blow that up and watch it on my computer. But um, one thing I have found is. We get a little bit invested in these things that we think, aha, that is the smoking gun. There it is. And then when somebody comes along and says, no, look, I found why. Look, I blew this up. I did this. And now look at that. And it's not what you think it is. And we get kind of crestfallen. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of like, well, no, I really wanted that to be real. <laughs> no, I'm going to argue my case. And, uh, and people will argue the case. And it's, it's okay because I think there's real stuff out there. But I think sometimes we get a little fooled by things that are naturally. I, I had a video of me in my office doing a radio show, and behind me, you saw this weird, anomalous white shape uh, uh, coming down from the top and then going back up. And uh, people paused and they said, What's that on your screen? And I had to look back at it, and it took me a couple of days. And I had somebody else look at it, too, and sure enough, it was some kind of weird lighting angle that picked up a spider uh, crawling down, descending on a web, and going back up. And it didn't really have the shape, but there was one place where you actually saw its legs move when you blew it way up. And you went, ah, it's a spider. But it looked like this floating, weird, this Star Trekky type of anomalous <laughs> shape in the background. Well, I have so. to say that some people would have been more frightened at the spider than any kind of paranormal activity. I can tell you <laughs> yeah. that for sure. But, you know, that brings up a good point, too. And I remember with the reboot of Ghost Hunters, uh, which is a program, by the way, that um, I wish them all the best. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think it lost some of its magic in something. I, it, that's, it did. That's all I'm going to say. Are, are you going to talk about the ceiling camera in the hallway of the school? Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I was going to mention. Uh, there was a very impressive video that they found in that first episode when they relaunched the show. Yeah. And um, it was quite impressive. And you're watching, you're like, this, this can't be anything but paranormal. It's too yeah. good. Um, but Grant and his team, Grant Wilson and his team, uh, checked it all out. They looked at the camera and they saw spider webs in front of the camera. Now, yep. when you've got a camera that's focused on a distant object, and then you have an object in the near field that's out of focus and it does, you know, moves or blows in front mm-hmm. of that, it's going to look. It's not going to look like what it is. It's going to look like something anomalous, and that's exactly what that was. And that, good for and them for yes, catching that. It was one of those ceiling cams for folks listening. If you hadn't seen it, a ceiling cam in a school, a security camera. And what they found was that, like an old cobweb that was like stuck in the rim 
of the of the little globe, and it would and it the wind the, the just the draft would dangle it down in front of the yep. camera lens, yep. and it looked like something walking across the hallway. So yeah, and that illustrates how easily we can be fooled, and yeah. how important it is not to jump to conclusions. You know, here in, we just right. we just talked about two very very impressive videos. One is a streak of water. To blame, and the other is a spider web to blame. And then you talked about your studio, and it was an actual spider that kind of got in the near field. Yes, uh, and it and it's so easy to be fooled. Yes, it is, and 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 that's the sad thing. You know, I've been doing some historical research and talking about some historical things on my show and and uh, ancient stuff, and it's the same kind of thing where you think you have. Oh, there's this great thing, and you invest yourself in it. Then you find out by doing a little more research or new research that comes out that it wasn't that thing at all. And you're like, ah, damn it, I really wanted that to be the thing because it made my case. Now I'm back to square one. And I think that's the way we feel with the paranormal. We know, you and I both know, and a hell of a lot of people out there know, this stuff is real. And there are real things that do get recorded and on camera, on tape, and so on. But there's so much stuff that we are so eager to want to know, to see, to, to experience that we can let ourselves get fooled pretty easily. And we do. And uh, we try very hard not to. And then you add, uh, you know, the modern... Uh video editing technology into the mix yeah. and man you've got anybody who's who's out to prove or disprove the authenticity of a video or a photograph has a hell of a job in front of them anymore oh boy you know i've got an orb of all things and i find orbs very dubious mm-hmm. uh you know most people will show you a picture of their family gathering and go look there's an orb that's my old great grandmother <laughs> right. it's like well we don't know that but uh, i was at porchester castle in england and I took a picture, we were out there about 10 at night, took a picture of the broken away wall, you see the black sky behind it, and I used a flash in only like one or two photos. And in every photo, there was nothing except the one photo with a flash, it was full of orbs. And I'm thinking, it's just dust particles in the air, it's, it's moisture in the air. But I went up to the window, and I took one particular one, I don't know why I chose that one, it was strong, I blew it up about 1,600%. And then I inverted the image to like a negative. And what came up in the negative was flesh tones. And really, I had this face of a monk. And what looked like a monk, a ringlet of hair on his head, his eyes half shut, his mouth open. You could see the big cowl collar of his robe wow. all coming out of an orb. Wow. And then we find out the next day, because I went back to the hotel and deciphered it that night to see if we had anything. And the next day we find out that Porchester Castle has been haunted by a monk for about wow. 900 years. And uh, so I'll have to show you that picture. Uh, that's, I took that picture like 15 years ago. And uh, so you'll have to see that and see what you think of it. Well, I, I, and I feel the same way you do. I'm very, very skeptical of orbs because all you need to do is take, you, know, you don't even have to, have to take a pillow, but a pillow is a perfect example. And just hit the pillow, then take a picture with a flash. You're going to see a thousand <laughs> orbs. Um, however, if you, if you, com- My ancestors. Yeah, right. <laughs> look at them all, they're all yeah. here. Um, but if you, but if you, uh, if you ever see an orb or catch an orb on video or still photography, that's, uh, generating its own light. That's an impressive orb. That's, that's what's impressive. If you can do what you just described, we'll really get into the detail of it and you actually see something in there, then, then, then you got to say, okay, maybe there's something to yeah. this. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, like I said, I blew that thing up, and there were flesh tones to it and everything. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. This is really something. Yeah, that's that's and, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, what, are you, uh, what are you up to these days? I mean, how, how's the show going? What have you been talking about on the show? Uh, well, uh, I just went through a whole series for almost eight weeks straight on uh, the uh, um, the Native American version or perspective of the taking of the American West. Mm. And uh, this has been a, it's a sticking point for some because you've got one side of the argument that will say, well, they were a conquered people. But then you've got the other side of the argument that says, well, we were kind of bad people for the things that we did during that time. Are you talking about Native Americans? Some Native Americans say that? Uh, No, no. Some uh, uh, the Native Americans, uh, no, I'm talking about uh, nowadays. The perspective would be from whites, Americans, and I don't—I hate to put it in the racial category, no, but uh, uh, American citizens. Some will say, "Hey, that was our right. We were here. We were conquering, and that had been done for thousands of years." And that's a truism. That's truth. The only problem is nowadays we look back and we can say, in retrospect, manifest destiny is not something we should operate by. It's not something... So there's mixed arguments on that. But what I went through was the perspective of how all the tribes were closed out and moved off systematically and all the tragedy and all the... Yes, they committed their own atrocities, but they were also fighting to preserve what they had. So I spent a a good two months, almost every night uh, of the week, talking about the taking of the American West. And uh, then we moved into a little more familiar territory. I'm now talking about, uh, I was talking about Heka, and maybe this is something you and I should talk about sometime. Heka and Heka. Mm -hmm. These are Egyptian magic and the Egyptian magical staff from ancient Egypt. And I was looking at how the Exodus, uh, under Moses, the Ten Plagues, and how these were all symbolic, not symbolic, they were all enactments of ancient Egypt. Egyptian magics. And uh, uh, so it was very interesting. We segued into, now we were talking about Joseph, the old patriarch, and there's some history about Joseph uh, that we're going to be hitting up here very soon, is that uh, Joseph sounds like a fairy tale, and maybe elements of that story are. And uh, yet there are finds in old Avaris, which is Pi Ramses, the cities that Ramses rebuilt on top of Avaris, and uh, in that city, they find a palace. They have discovered a palace archaeologically that matches the palace of Joseph oh, wow. in the Old Testament by description. They find 13 tombs out in the yards of this place. And he had his 12 brothers, the, the, the founders of the yeah. tribes of Israel. Right. And then you have a statue that they believe is the statue of Joseph. I have some very good people that I went to. Some of my old professors said, you know, I really think that is a statue of Joseph, wow. the patriarch. And this and is a new archaeological find? This is a new find? Uh, this is in the last hmm, 10, 15 years that okay. they found this statue. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't hear much about it, but it was smashed to bits, but it has all the earmarks. And it was in the big tomb at this palace. And it has, but there were no bones there. But the biblical story tells us that when Israel left on the Exodus, they took the bones of Joseph with them back to what is now Israel. Right. And uh, so they broke into the tomb, 
took his bones, but the statue in there was smashed to bits, and they've reconstructed it. And it's got, they found by the pigments, first of all, it had, it had this yellowish pigment to the skin, which is the way Egyptians painted the skin tones of Middle Easterners, what they called Asiatics, the Canaanites, the Syrians, which would eventually be the Israelites. They used a kind of a yellow pigment. The wig on its head had red hair, um, which depicted some of the Canaanite warriors. And then its robe was multicolored, mm. uh, which was very interesting, multicolored stripes. And in the hand of this obviously Semitic character of the statue was the flail of Egyptian royalty or high office holding on to this in the statue. And uh, so they're looking at this and all these, and there's a lot of other facts behind it, but when they reconstruct this, they get a statue of a very Semitic-looking man holding the flail of high governmental, almost royal office. The Bible says Joseph was a grand vizier and one step off of the throne of Pharaoh. And at this palace in a city which is known to have been built by Semitic peoples, or what would be Israelite people. And so it's an interesting story. You start looking at evidence like that. Is this like the video from Gettysburg where you go, aha, we have found this thing. Um, nobody has debunked this yet. But what it has done is said, suddenly, it's like the cornerstone they found of Pontius Pilate in, in uh, uh, Caesarea Philippi in uh, uh, Israel. Uh, in 1960s, they found this. They didn't believe he was really part of a, that he was really a real person. There was no other record for him right. until they uncovered a cornerstone with his inscription on it, dating back to about 26 AD. And so uh, Pontius Pilatus Praefectus Judea, it says, and he's dedicating a gymnasium uh, named after Tiberius Caesar, the Tiberian. It's so amazing. Yeah, finds like that. Those are the things that can establish some things for it. It's amazing to me how um, many of the biblical stories have started to been substantiated by archaeological finds. I mean, that yeah. is an impressive thing. Um, so many, and it just seems to be accelerating with the number of finds that we get. Scotty, we've only got yes. a couple minutes left, unfortunately, but we'll sure. have you. Of course, we'll have you back on. Um, but let people know where they can catch your show and uh, sure. keep up with what you're doing. Well, I am on the Odyssey Radio Network, and that's O-D-Y-S-Y-1 dot com. But uh, that's audio only. Uh, if you want to see the video simulcast of that show with the live chat room, just like Jimmy's show, go over to my YouTube channel. It's just Mr. Scotty Roberts, and you'll see all the uh, archives. There's about 300 shows archived there for the Intrepid Radio program. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for being here tonight, Scotty, and, and, and I'm glad that you're on, you're on the mend. You sound great. Um, I'm sure you look great. I'm sure you look great by how you sound. So that's all good news, and look forward to I having always you. Always look great. <laughs> look, look forward to having you <laughs> back. Look, look the line. Uh, it's not how you how you feel. It's how you look, and you look marvelous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for being here, Billy Scotty. Crystal. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Looking for our guest's book? Go to amazoncom shop taps. Uh, welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality. As I said, we're going to be talking tonight about herbal medicines, herbs, how they can help your immune system, especially in a day and age when we have to worry about pandemics. We're also going to talk about how to use herbs correctly so they don't cause complications or organ trauma. 
like prescription medications do. And we'll also chat about backwoods medicine, the ability to take care of your family if all else fails. It's a good thing to know for sure, given the fact that there's so much unrest in this world, so much uh, potential for natural disaster at any point. These are good things to understand and to know. Our guest is a master herbalist and a Reiki master, Sammy Kennedy. Sammy, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be on. How did this all start for you? Um, You know, we all kind of take a mild interest in this stuff when we're sick, especially, but some people uh, make it a passion, a life's passion, which is something that you've done. How did it start for you? My grandparents were farmers. And we also, um, my grandfather took us out in the woods quite a bit and taught us about plants, taught us about what worked, um, how to use them, um, things like that. It was, from a very young age, brought to us, to my whole family, actually, but I'm the one that took it on. You know, there is a time in the not-too-distant past where you didn't go to the doctor and get a prescription medication for every little, every single little thing that ailed you. In fact, going to the doctor was a bit of a rarity. And uh, I even remember as a child, and you know, in the seventies, um, the number of times I had an antibiotic as a kid, I could probably count on one hand. Uh, the number of times my kids had antibiotics as they were when they were young, I could probably count on one hand every month. You know, I mean, it's it was that much more dramatic. Did we take a wrong turn somewhere, in your opinion, in starting to rely so much on pharmaceuticals as opposed to these natural elements and herbs that are uh, around us every day? As far as I'm concerned, we did. Um, 80% of the world still use um, traditional medication more than they use uh, pharmaceutical drugs. Pharmaceutical drugs should be used in reference to acute situations that can't be taken care of immediately with, with a, an herbal medicine. But especially talking about um, antibiotics, you have herbals that work just as well, if not more efficiently, as an antibiotic. It's just the acute situation where you would need an antibiotic. You have... In this day and age, our bodies, our children especially, have become so, um, shall I say, um, let's do it this way. Their bodies can't um, work efficiently because of the antibiotics that have been used so much that the antibiotics won't work efficiently now for them. All right, wait a minute. Let me just stop you for a second. Are you saying that because they've taken antibiotics so much that they become less effective in them? Are you saying because they've been used so widely in the world that the bacteria are becoming resistant to them, so therefore they don't work in the children? That the bacteria, they have been used so much in our food with in the animals. In agriculture, yeah. Agriculture, in uh, fish farms, etc., that they actually aren't as efficient. They've actually um, created a situation where the bacteria, the um, viruses, etc., actually become uh, a moot point. They just don't accept it anymore. They can't, the antibiotics just don't work. 
Well, we're seeing that and with uh, alarming frequency now. Uh, so that is something certainly to be concerned with. But I want to ask you more generally about antibiotics and the herbal uh, supplements that can actually do the job that you're saying antibiotics can do. The skeptic in me says, if that's the case, why did so many people die prior to antibiotics from bacterial infections that we now cure with antibiotics? Not everybody had the ability to get to herbal medicine. Um, some, it wasn't a wide known thing. It's something that um, you had um, shamans, you had um, medicine men, you had um, the, the woman that was, had grown up with the herbs. Um, I'm not saying that they don't have their place. What I'm saying is not everybody uh, was able to get to these items, get to the herbs when they needed them. Not only that, but you had um, you had more dysentery. You had more. Um, they didn't know how to keep themselves clean. They didn't take as good a care of their bodies, etc. Yeah, so a lot has changed for certain in, in our hygiene, in, in the way we understand the nature of germs, whether it's viruses or bacteria, all of that. And we also understand how diseases spread better. Um, so I can understand that for sure. But if, if, you were to say, if someone were to say to you, uh, Sammy, I, uh, I have a, I don't know, a strep throat, some kind of bacterial infection. Um, I don't want to take an antibiotic. What, what can you recommend to me that's a natural alternative? Myrrh. Myrrh is one of the best things to use for strep throat. Really, and how do you take it in pill form, or do you? Is it? Do you? How do? How do you consume it? The most effective way for myrrh to work for strep throat or for a, a gar is a gargle. It would be used oh, okay. in an extract form or what's called a tincture form. Now I have to I have to assume because. Uh, we're hearing more and more about this, and especially as we're getting ready for a vaccine to be produced for COVID-19. Um, but one of the things that we're often uh, suspect of, I guess, is the motivation of pharmaceutical companies. For example, there is you know, billions of dollars at stake for a, let's say, a, a COVID-19 um, vaccination. Whereas a natural, whereas a natural uh, remedy or solution, and I'm not sure there is for COVID-19 specifically, but I'm just using it as, as an example. There's no money for the pharmaceutical companies, so of course, they have a real motivation to push these manufactured medications, don't they? Of course, they do, and it is a money maker. I'm not going to say that vaccines aren't a good thing. What I'm going to say is that. That vaccine works for one item. For instance, when you get a vaccine for the flu, you're getting the vaccine for a specific strain of the flu, okay? It then goes and blocks other hormone receptors that don't allow your body to absorb nutrients that it needs to take care and boost your immune system. So what, in essence, you're doing when you take a, a, let's just say when you get a a shot for the flu or you get um, 
a shot for anything, for any type of virus, when you get uh, an immune, uh, when you get a shot. A vaccination? Are we, we're talking about vaccinations, right? When you get a vaccination. We're talking about vaccinations. Yeah. Um, what you, when, you're, when you're vaccinated, okay, it works for one specific type of virus. So that it doesn't take care of other viruses and it actually blocks your immune system so your immune system cannot take care of you with other viruses. I have... So, I have been a a vaccine a vaccine supporter all my life. I've you know you look at the evidence and you say okay, there's clearly a public health benefit here. However, in in, re- in yeah in recent years uh, and just the last couple, and I st- I've started to talk talk to people like you on this very program, and I'm starting to hear the message that they that they're sending, and it's not that vaccinations don't necessarily work. It's they it's they work, but at what what is the cost? What's the price that you pay? What's the price your body pays when you get vaccinated for something? What things are they putting into those vaccinations that are being injected directly into your bloodstream so they're not able to be filtered out by your digestive system? The toxins, the heavy metals that your liver would generally clean out of anything that's in, that you eat or drink. Um, they're bypassing all that, and these substances are 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 accumulating in the body every time you take a vaccination. Is that kind of what you're talking about? You're very, very close to it. It's just, it creates a resistance to one, one item, one virus, and then it builds up uh, and, and blocks so that your body cannot absorb and take care of itself. It, it, uh, it causes blood uh, disorders. It can create situations in your body that, so that your body can't do the natural thing that it's supposed to do. The body has a homeostasis. It can take care of itself if fed correctly and um, given the correct nutrients. There, for instance, if you're going to use an herbal application that's an antiviral and antibacterial, it actually, in essence, has the ability to work as a like in, like a complete puzzle. With taking the pieces, let's do it this way: if you have a puzzle and you take bits and pieces of the puzzle out, you can't get the complete picture. By doing a by doing an antibiotic, by doing a shot that is uh, for any virus. Okay, any flu shot, any any shot like that. What you're doing is you're taking and you're blocking parts of that puzzle so that that piece cannot be put in. So it's creating a situation where the body can't absorb the nutrients it needs. Yeah. It doesn't read what you put in it correctly, and it causes more dis-ease to the body. Let's talk about um, some herbs that you recommend. Um, are there herbs that people should take, again, your recommendation to take every day as a preventative measure for illness or a way to help boost the immune system? Herbs that you should take. Uh, herbs aren't something that you would take every day. Okay. What you, 
um, herbs are something that, unless you're doing, let's, let's say, every time you eat a meal, like when you have um, your garlic, when you make a meal, you put your garlic in it. Garlic is an antiviral, antibacterial, all right? A good full-spectrum cold-pressed vitamin is the best way to go to supplement your diet. Um, and, and feed you the nutrients and the foods that you to help make your foods more efficient. You're, if you're going to do anything any every day, you want to do something that works as more of a food source. Okay. Did you say a cold press vitamin? Is that what you said? Cold pressed or encapsulated heat pressed kill kill heat pressed vitamins. When you have a heat pressed vitamin, it kills a lot of the natural nutrients. Okay, so I'm assuming, they, I'm assuming that those are two different ways that these vitamins are manufactured. Is that right? That is correct. One is a cold press, one is a heat pressed. And you're saying that the heat pressed uh, process actually diminishes the effectiveness of the vitamin, whereas cold press doesn't. That is correct. How do you know the difference? Does it say it on the, on the bottle? Um, it, it does not. So you got so to research. I guess. What you're buying is it's the way the capsules made. Okay. Um, also, it's the vitamins. It's a company. You have to source the companies to get the correct um, to get the correct vitamins and supplements. And so your best bet is always to get an encapsulated versus a, a hard tablet. So get an encapsulated supplement. Now, when you are doing vitamin, when you're doing, let's do this. When you're doing herbs, the herbs that you do, it's more important to stay with an organic or a an herb that is a an organic or wildcrafted herb, and um, it's going to be more efficient for your body. For instance, if you're taking and using herbs, let's say you bought a, a low-end herb that came from a field that had been sprayed with pesticides, herbicides, etc. Mm-hmm. What you're getting is you're getting a concentrated um, amount of pesticides and herbicides. So you want to stay away from um, inexpensive or uh, a product that it, or an herb that isn't all organic or all natural. When you, um, I mean, th- th- this can be complex because uh, again, it, it, it doesn't necessarily say on the labels what you know what you're saying. That it won't say that. I mean, some of them will, I suppose. They'll say this 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 herb, whatever it happens to be, is free of uh, pesticides or whatever it was grown organically, um, whatever that happens to be. But they don't all say that. No, they don't. But if um, if it does, if it is made correctly, it will say that it's made with wild crafted or organic product. So help us out here. You've worked with people uh, and helped them work uh, heal with herbal remedies um, over the years. Give us some examples of how that work has gone. What you've seen and what you've recommended and what the outcome has been for about. 18 years, I've had people sent to me by doctors um, and um, 
there are pharmacists, local pharmacists and such. Um, in reference to, usually it started off with the worst case scenario cases, cancers, autistic children, things like that. Um, people that couldn't get the help or were so desperate that they were willing to come to someone other than an MD or um, a, a medical doctor actually sent uh, patients, clients to us. Um, you have to understand that those people actually um, want to be helped. So that's a beginning, the need to be helped, wanting to be helped. So they're willing to go the extra mile to take care of themselves. When it comes to healing, it's a, a full-spectrum situation. It's you have to heal the mind, the body, the soul. So what you have to do is you have to get them in the right frame of mind because anybody that's in their right frame, if they're thinking correctly, they're easier to get them on the right track. Their body is going to accept um, nutrients more efficiently. It's just like when you're upset and you eat and you're, you get indigestion. Okay, so the body has to be in a in a place where it uh, it's going to accept what it's taking in. So then, um, with for for instance, cancer, the best way to do would be to do and cleanse their body and get their body working more efficiently. And um, you do that with working with cleaning their liver, their their blood, their lymphatic glands, so that the body knows what it's supposed to do. Um, when the body's in a homeostasis or a balanced effect, then it's more efficient. So you have to actually get the body working to the point of getting rid of debris and getting rid of toxins. For instance, cancer it can be taken care of naturally with herbal application, and you work at actually getting rid of the cancer cells. There's something that everybody has a cancer cell in their body at some time in their life, but the body uh, gets rid of it. It, it. it evacuates it. So the bottom line is to get the body working for itself, to help it heal itself, and you do that by actually cleansing the body with specific herbs, and then feeding the body more efficient nutrients. Is this approach, let's say you have somebody who has cancer, the uh, medical community doesn't have uh, good answers for them. They come to you, uh, you start working with them, and in the, in doing everything you just described. Does it have to be a life-long change? Are, are all these things... Uh, things that people need to commit to if they want to be cured this way, they need to commit to them for life? Or is this a, a, a process by which you go through it, um, hopefully you're cured at the end of it, and then you go on your merry way? So do you stop exercising um, after you get down to the weight that you want to get or you brought your cholesterol down by eating correctly? And exercising, do you stop there? Is that when you stop? Right. So their life changes is what you're talking about. 
We are talking about life changes. Yes, we are. For a person to stay well, you have to change the way of your whole life, the way you eat, the way you think, what you put in your body, all right? And if you've damaged parts of your body that can't, can't be replaced, then you have to build new bridges. And herbals can do that also. So um, build those bridges back so that the body can work more efficiently. Is this something that everyone should be considering? The first thing I say, I always offer a caveat when we when we talk about these topics on the program. I always say you don't do any of this stuff without consulting your physician. Everything should be discussed with your doctor. Um, I, I'm assuming you agree with that, Sammy. Um, but the bottom line here is that is it something that everyone should be considering as an alternative to um, you know prescription medications or some of these more uh, what I would call damaging um, medical processes that are put in place to help, quote-unquote, cure people disease? I believe that everyone should consider using herbal application. I believe that everyone should consider um, what they put in their body. And when you have medications that you take that create two major side traumas to your body, then I think that you should consider and talk extensively with your doctor doctor in reference to what medication you're being given and what the alternative to that medication is. I think I know the answer to this next question, but I'll let you answer it. When is the best time to start this? When you start feeling sick? or when you're healthy? Herbal application is something that you can start when you're healthy, all right? Um, and, and it will help to enhance your overall wellness. Now, um, earlier on you asked if you had to do herbs every day, mm-hmm. and I said no, but and yet I bet just about everyone uses some herbs every day in something that they're doing. Um, Eating more efficiently, uh, utilizing basil out of your garden or um, putting more garlic in your food or having a cup of hot um, chamomile tea to relax you or um, taking turmeric for inflammation because you've read about it. So all of the, we do every day, I believe all of us use in some shape or form herbal application. We just don't realize it. Um, to go and do a cleanse, I think everybody should do a cleanse at least twice a year to help make their uh, lymph glands, their um, cleanse their blood and, and, and make their liver, liver more efficient, help their kidneys um, so that they don't have to work as hard. Um, I think we all should consider utilizing herbs. Uh, I, I think we all, all should. We've heard a lot 
especially recent, recently, about the quality of the foods that we eat and that the things that we're eating tend to be void, if not completely, at least partially, of any nutritional value. Do you believe that to be true? And what are your thoughts on it? I know that's true. And my thoughts are you should try to eat organic and live foods as much as possible. Um, the reason organic versus um, just foods that have been sprayed with pesticides and herbicides, pesticides are utilized for one reason, they're to kill insects. The way they do that is um, it actually covers and deteriorates the, the lungs, which are the, the shells on the outside, the way insects uh, breathe and such. So basically, by um, ingesting over the last, um, I'm going to say one, two, about the last four decades now, we've been, uh, we've been ingesting and feeding our children uh, er, vegetables and fruits that have been sprayed with pesticides and herbicides. And what they've actually, what they actually do is they change the genetic DNA. They mutate DNA, which is the reason why we have so many asthmatic children now. Um, why we have so many allergies. Um, why our children have so many issues, and um, it's not not a good thing. So basically, we should all consider uh, eating organic or um, doing foods that have more um, more nutrients in them. So garden, try grow a few plants yourself. Plant a garden. Learn learn what to buy and. You can actually um, form co-ops where you can get organic foods at, for as little as you would pay for regular um, vegetables and fruits um, that people would normally buy in the grocery store. There's ways where, where you can get a hold of more nutritious food. Um, the way we eat in this day and age, we are creating... Um, cholesterol-ridden children. We're creating um, more genetic mutations that create situations for our children and our children's children. So we should think about what we put in our body and, and how we live and what we really want out of life. What's your advice to people who already go to the grocery store and have, have trouble... Uh, buying quality foods. I mean, good foods, produce, fruits, and vegetables are far more expensive than donuts and Twinkies. Um, and and some people don't have the means to get the good stuff. Uh, or is there a way they can do it and, and, and actually do it in a way that they can afford it? How can they not afford it? Because um, illness will cost them time, their lives, sickness, mm -hmm. it will make their quality of life less efficient. And um, I, there are things that they might want to consider giving up so that they could get a little bit better food. And then um, if it's that there's nothing for them to give up to get the better food, then they, they look into getting into co-ops. 
um, into the larger cities, it's harder to do, but in this day and age, they still have things like that where they can actually get support, grow, grow a small garden. Um, you can, in a, in a, in a pot, you can actually grow um, greens that um, can feed a couple people. So in a, in a 12 by 12 foot square, you can grow enough uh, live greens to have salads mm. uh, uh, a couple times a week for two people. There are things that you can do, um, ways that you can help support the, your wellness. Get together, form groups, um, put plots together. There are so many things. In the cities, I know that they, they, they have now um, where they can actually um, get pieces put together, areas where they can actually grow. There's always a way to get fresh vegetables and fresh fruit without um, buying the foods that they say, you say, like Hostess Twinkies, etc. Um, one bag of apples is not going to cost you any more than um, a bag of donuts and a bag of cookies. So I think people should consider what they eat and what they put into their body because... Well I think that's uh, I think that's very val valid and valuable advice, and I think it's coming from a lot of different directions. I think we're now starting to understand that the adage "you are what you eat" actually has some significant meaning and some significant consequences. Um, I think that's kind of what it boils down to here. Now, one of the things you do, Sammy, is you offer one-on-one -on -one sessions for people trying to make this work for themselves. That's correct. Tell us a little bit of how the sessions work and how people can can uh, pursue that if they're interested. A one-on-one -on -one session is if you have a situation, um, a health issue or something like that, it's actually an education session where you fill out um, documents um, on things that you're having issues with and we discuss with that person how they could uh, and what they can do from um, anything from eating more nutritiously to actually herbal application to help take care of situations. Um, we work with a lot of autistic children, so in like in a one-on-one -on -one with an autistic child, we would um, work with the parent on um, what to feed them, when to feed them, um, nutrients and what supplements we could give them, herbal herbal supplements we could give them to help enhance their overall wellness. Um, it, as we said, um, like in a one-on-one, -on -one, it is basically um, a way to help educate a person on how to make themselves healthy or take care of an issue that they have. And when you say, I work with a lot of physicians. They send me people to help with nutrition. They send me people to help with herbal application. And I've done that for um, more years than I would prefer to say. But <laughs> we've worked <laughs> with many people 
to help enhance their overall well-being and get them back on track. And then we do follow-ups follow and help um, keep them on track. You um you have courses, or are courses the same thing as the one-on-one sessions? Are courses, are the courses you do different than that? Courses are um, actually, I educate people. I do, I have accredited classes that we teach people, um, nurses, pharmacists, uh, CMEs. I have uh, CMEs for doctors for accredited classes. And those classes are actually um, in reference to herbal application and contraindication to medication. Then I do the non-accredited classes where um, I work, I teach herbal medicine. I teach how, how to make tinctures, herbal medicine chests, so that they can actually have um, a class where they can learn how to make uh, herbal applications, when to use them, and how to use them, um, uh, essential oil classes, um, anything that in reference to the herbs themselves on how they work and how they're applied. Are the courses always ongoing or are they, um, in other words, can you sign up any time or do you have to, is it like, you know, uh, every six weeks or something like that? I used to do, um, they're ongoing now, online, and starting October 1st, we've got four sessions starting, and they'll be ongoing. We have um, herbal medicine chest, herbal tincture making, um, herbal application, which is more on the fundamentals, it's also an accredited class. We have quite a few nurses that take that one. And um, and actually, there's a bonsai class. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have a website. Uh, most of the information is there, I assume. Tell people what they can find if they go to the website. And if they're interested in pursuing any of this, how do they navigate the website to be able to do that? There's... Um, you go on the front page, it will, at the top of the page, it tells you, it gives you the articles, it tells you about classes, it also goes into applications of um, questionnaires on the one-on-ones, if you wish to take a, do a one-on-one. It tells you about what we have coming up and what we will be doing in the near future. Terrific. This is a, a topic that needs more and more attention. I think that um, we're just starting again to realize that as as uh, modern society has progressed, one of the things that we've left behind and forgotten about in many ways is how important good nutrition is and how important it is to understand the things around us that grow naturally and how they can help us, whether it's prevent disease or with disease or to have a good quality of life. And I, and I think your work is really um, excellent, Sammy, and I appreciate you sharing with, sharing it with us tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. I don't feel like I even got to scratch the surface on <laughs> things that I'd love to let you know about. But um, I think that people should consider herbal application. 
There's a lot online right now that you can read. Um, just make sure you go to a, a good source. Uh, even MedMD will give you um, a breakdown of how herbs um, are work and their efficiency and their efficacy. So um, they could actually even go there if they were a little more dubious and um, learn a little bit more about herbal application. Yeah, that's Correct. great. That's great. And I'm sorry we, we didn't have a little bit more time. We'll get you back on. We'll, we'll explore this a little more deeply next time you're on with us. But I do appreciate your time tonight and um, appreciate your work and look forward to having you back. You're very kind. I appreciate you having me on. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.